Hello and welcome to That Nerd Thing, where we uncover the magical impact that fandoms have on our lives. I'm Morgan, and I just wanted to take a moment to thank all of you that have been supporting the show, not just through listening, but also interacting on social media, sharing the show with your friends, and sending me the most meaningful and heartfelt messages. I'm so, so grateful. I created the show just to have fun and with the goal in mind that I wanted to create a space where people can nerd out and be their authentic selves and and I'm so happy that so many of you are feeling that way. So please keep sharing the show with your nerdy friends and chatting with me because, yes, it does help the show get more ears listening to it, but it also is just so fun for me. So thank you all so much. Now, you may have heard of today's guest through his viral TikTok videos, his magical new podcast called Critical Magic Theory, which is really good, by the way, or even through his course, Harry Potter and Social Identity at George Washington University. So I would love to welcome Professor Julian Wample to the show. Hi, Julian. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for being here. So I first heard of you through MuggleCast several months ago. I've been a fan of MuggleCast forever. Then your podcast came out and I... I was like, oh my gosh, I wonder if he would say yes to being on the show. I was a little nervous asking you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. No, this is so exciting. So I like to start out the show getting an idea of my guest's nerdy identity. Are you ready? Let's do it. What is the first thing that you were nerdy about? It took me a second to think about this because I've had Harry Potter in my life for so long. But the first thing was Greek mythology. There was a book in my school's library when I was in elementary school. It was like this yellow book, no, no cover. And I would just check it out over and over and over and over again and just kind of absorb everything about Greek mythology when I was a kid. And so that was like my first big foray into nerdiness. And yeah, that was definitely my gateway. That's so cool. I love asking this question to other Harry Potter fans and hearing what they were into before Harry Potter. Yeah. And yeah, the timeline, I really had to sit down and think about it because my original answer was going to be Harry Potter. But then I was like, what if we go back a little bit? And yeah. it definitely was Greek mythology. That's super cool. I just saw last month Hades Town. Oh, so fantastic. So, good. so, so yeah. good. Yeah, I saw it when it came to DC. And it's just such an amazing, heartbreaking, but amazing kind of retelling of that myth. I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but I had no idea what the plot would be. And so at the end, I was like, um, is this the ending? So there's an act three, right? (laughs) Yeah. So what is your favorite myth? Oh, this is really interesting. I would have to say, and this is both from when I was a child, but as I've gotten older, Medusa. Ooh. I think that there's something so telling. I recently, I was just, I don't know what headspace I was in, but I was just doing research about kind of the myth itself. Because I feel like when we are younger and we consume it, it's like, you know, Medusa was turning people to stone, Perseus shows up, like, you know, chops her head off, the whole nine, right? And then I was reading about it. And when you read about the kind of background story that she was just kind of priestess for Athena and the fact that Poseidon plays a really big role in this, I'm not sure what your audience's age range is, so I, don't, I won't go into the big details, but- A wide range. She obviously endured trauma at the hands of Poseidon, and she was then blamed. And Athena blamed her for kind of defiling her temple, and that is when she turned into a Gorgon. Oh. Exactly, right? And so the story of this woman who was blamed for something that she had very little part in other than her physical presence was then kind of warped into this whole other kind of 
mythos that we absorbed. And so as an adult, that is certainly my favorite myth because I think it is very much a cautionary tale in a lot of ways, but also speaks to the way that stories are told to us and the way that we consume them. And it, I don't know, it's like that was more nerdy than I intended it to be. But it's a very kind of, I don't know, it's it's both a heartbreaking but also very telling story. Get as nerdy as you want to get. Good. Okay, great. Great. <laughs> yeah. Great. You should do a podcast on Greek mythology. There is one called, um, oh, what is it called? I'll have to find it. But there is one. And it's okay. a woman who has her master's in the classics. And she dives into all of the Greek myths. And it's phenomenal. I'll have to find it. So listeners, just check out the show notes if you want to check out yeah. that podcast. I know I will. Yeah. What is your favorite nerdy thing? Certainly Harry Potter. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it definitely is. I think it was so formative for me growing up that it certainly is my favorite thing. I think Greek mythology has definitely still plays a really big part in my kind of just mythology in general, I've kind of expanded out to learning just about myths and of different cultures and things. I mean, shout out to Rick Riordan for just like really kind of expanding my own knowledge, even as an adult. And so I think between Greek mythology and Harry Potter, I've remained fairly consistent in kind of the those being my favorite things that I kind yeah. of nerd out about. What is it like for you? You know, I was going to ask this later, but I'll ask you now. What is it like for you to be able to teach about your favorite nerdy thing? A dream come true. Yeah. <laughs> what I like about it is that it is very much a conversation. So I get to learn and think about this world that I have been obsessed with for over 20 years. I think for me, it is amazing to be able to not only just talk about Harry Potter, but also teach like really critical and important things about our own lives and our own world using this book. And also in doing so kind of highlighting a lot of its flaws and the things that are not great about it and using those as teaching tools as well. It's been really, really amazing. Yeah. And I love how it's showing how timeless Harry Potter can be yeah. and how you can really use it to help teach people. Yeah. Yeah. And then there are moments that are very much a product of the 90s. And so all my students are Gen Z. And so I have to explain to them, like, the 90s were a wild time. <laughs> That's really funny. What have they asked that maybe has been the most shocking? I'm just jumping in here to let you know that if you have not read the entire Harry Potter series or you don't want to be spoiled, Go ahead and fast forward this episode about one minute and 50 seconds. I think that they really struggle with Hermione's character as a girl who seemingly doesn't like other girls. And I, as a man who didn't necessarily see myself like in Hermione fully, had to really grapple with the reality of how she treats other women and girl characters and and so that was I think the hardest one but the biggest one that I kind of lost it on and had to really think about was Sirius Black. I had such a kind of visceral reaction to Sirius Black as a character particularly in the Order of the Phoenix when he kind of comes back and I just was like he's a whiny baby he needs to grow up and one of my students the first semester I ever taught this class which was during 2020 pandemic my students said, you know, actually, if we think about those people who are incarcerated, there's kind of a stagnation of maturation that they experience. 
And if we think about the fact that Sirius is not only stagnated in his maturation, but his best friend who died and who he blames himself for his death is literally like walking around because he looks just like his dad. And then he's in a house that he had to get kicked out of. And so we should have more compassion for him. And that was one that has taken me a long time to really deal with because I felt very compelled by that explanation and very called in about my own perceptions of him as a character without taking in the full scope of of who he is and how he got to where he is. That's so fascinating. I remember really being surprised when I first read Prisoner of Azkaban for the first time and learning more about Sirius. What is the thing that you're currently nerdy about? I've really been getting into Norse mythology. Rick Riordan has a series, Magnus Chase. And so I started that and I read through those books and I realized how little I know about Norse mythology. And every so often, like I get struck by the thought of how intertwined so many aspects of kind of like human existence are. And You know, when I think about mythology, there are so many things that are so similar across different cultures or different communities. So Norse mythology has been one that's really interesting to me. I recently was at a museum in France, and it was a musical instrument museum. And I was really struck by the similarity across instruments, across time and place, like, you know, recorders or guitars or things like that and how every culture historically had these things but like the scales were different so i'm a musician and so the construction of the instrument itself is very similar and rudimentary in that you know you get a piece of wood you hollow it out and you poke holes in it but that the the differences came in the notes that came out and the scales in the museum they had videos playing And you would hear the birds and the way that the birds were kind of like singing their songs matched then what you would hear people playing. And it just struck me how connected we all are as human people that we could be in different parts of the world and have the same kind of instrument permeate even in moments before we were like getting on boats and traveling to places. But then the thing that separates us is the nature around us and that we then absorb that. And that's why when you go to different parts of the world, even now, the scales are so drastically different musically. And when you then listen to the different parts of the world around them, you can hear how it inspired people to make these different shifts and changes. And so that has been something that has really been sitting with me because I just find it so fascinating. Yeah, I never would have thought of that. That's really neat. Yeah, yeah. It's the same thing with food, right? Like we, every culture has like a dumpling of some kind and they all look very similar. And again, these things were all seemingly happening before people were getting on boats and traveling around. And so that there's just this kind of humanness that informs creation of any kind. And so I, I've been really kind of, noodling with that, both in terms of food and music and mythology. And so that's where I'm at. That's so interesting. The psychologist in me is thinking of Carl Hume with the the collective unconscious. All of my psychologist friends listening are probably thinking that too. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all connected. Yeah. And that the connection itself does not negate difference, right? Like everyone can be and have a unique spin on the thing that connects us. 
but that doesn't negate the connection itself. And I think that Mm -hmm. that's something for me that really resonates. What instrument do you play? I'm a singer. Oh, you sing? Oh, that's so cool. Where do you sing? So I do a lot of singing in church. Yeah. And that's mostly where I sing now. When I was in college, I did chorale. I sang madrigals and like all that stuff. But now it's mostly church singing, uh, which is fun and and very different from what I do on the day to day. So I enjoy it. Yeah. You're channeling that creative side. Yeah. Yeah. What is the most underrated nerdy thing about you? I'm a Gemini. And one of the traits of Gemini's is that we just have random facts that we just know. And so like (laughs) even what I was just talking about, like these random things like just pop into my head. And I am a person who if I have a question about something, I'm going to go find the answer. I'm going to deep dive. I will go down a rabbit hole. I will figure out the thing and just kind of absorb that information. I love learning and I love knowledge. No matter what it is, I'm going to get to the bottom of it and I'm going to find out how it works or, you know, why it works the way that it does. And so I think I, as a result, have just like random bits of knowledge that I absorb just because I randomly will get questions and then go on like a Wikipedia deep dive, which then takes me to, (laughs) you know, these academic articles and So, yeah, I just kind of go down these random rabbit holes. And I think that then gives me like a couple of little things every once in a while that I can say like, oh, well, this is a random thing that I learned about Medusa, for example. Yeah. Yeah. You would probably be wonderful to have on a team for trivia. Yes. Depending on the topic, the the things that I'm good at, I'm really great at. And some of it get me into sports and it's all bets are off. I'm no good. (laughs) Not at all. Same, same. What is the most random nerdy thing about you? I think the fact that I teach this class is very, it's outrageously nerdy. And it is so random because I'm a political scientist. And so when I tell people that I am a political scientist and I teach this class on Harry Potter, everyone's like, how do you do that? What does that look like for you? And so I have to explain the way that I've conceptualized the class. I think that that is where I would say that's the nerdiest kind of thing that or the most random nerdy thing that I that I have. It's so interesting that you say that because based off my experience seeing you on social media and everything, my mind would automatically kind of associate you with being more of a literature professor or English. When you said political scientist, I'm like, oh, yeah, like that sounds more random to me. Yeah, (laughs) that's the thing, because the class itself is like the politics of social identities. But like when we think of politics, we think about Congress and, you know, what at Parliament and all these other kind of institutions. And so the focus that I place on what I do is just very different. And so people, they tend to be more surprised by it. Yeah. It seems, though, that you're making politics more accessible. I like to think so. I have a student when I taught this class for the first time who said, you know, this class is like a Trojan horse. You kind of get us in with Harry Potter. And then inside of all of this is our conversations that we would never have had before about concepts and things that make us feel uncomfortable. And so the idea that you like have kind of tricked us and I'm like, great. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I did. I would love to talk about your journey into fandom. Sure. So tell me, you know, I'm so interested in how it started, but then I'm also interested in how, like what it was like for you to go viral on TikTok and then start a podcast, yeah. like start wherever you'd like. <laughs> when I started reading Harry Potter, the books had just they had just come out i think when i started reading them i was maybe like eight or nine and the first three books had come out and so i ended up exploring them by myself 
in a lot of ways. And then I started making a community of people when I was in elementary school who would kind of, we would go to a teacher's room and she would read them to us. Aww. I know, and uh, that's like very formative for me because my parents were not the biggest fan of Harry Potter because of magic and whatnot. And so I didn't really get to enjoy the communal aspects of the fandom of Harry Potter until I was much, much, much older. And then experience the fact that, oh, there are other people out there who kind of commune together in their celebration. I knew people were going and buying books and things like that, but I never went to any of those things because my parents were like, the fact that we're letting you read these books in and of itself is the gift. <laughs> and so anything else beyond that is, is, is more than like we're willing to do. And admittedly, right, like we had never seen anything like what we had witnessed for Harry Potter happening in the kind of zeitgeist of the 90s and the early aughts, right? Where people were literally dressing up and going and camping out at bookstores for a book. That was just not a thing that people were doing. And so I think my parents were also very off-put by just the sheer kind of like zealousness of the fans. Yeah, it wasn't until I started, until I got much older that I kind of got into the fandom. And for me... The reason I, I started posting on TikTok was because when I started teaching the class, I would tell people and most of the people who follow me on TikTok who listen to my podcast are all like myself, kind of millennials. And so people were very much like, oh, I wish I could take that class. What can I do? My colleagues, like spouses and partners were like, can we come in and take this class? <laughs> and so I thought, what's a way that I can like, how can I share what we do? without having people pay GW's tuition. Um, <laughs> and I thought, well, it would just be nice if I put little snippets online because that way people can kind of be a part of it. And and I really had no expectations for it. I had no thought on what it would look like for me. I thought, well, you know, if I can just share it and have it online that I can send it to my friends and at least, you know, some of them will be able to see it. And I'm not a front-facing person. I don't necessarily love a ton of attention. My therapist and I are working on it. Uh, and he yeah, and he is, my therapist was a big advocate for me posting because I was like, well, what if people don't like it? And what if it's bad? And I'm a perfectionist. And so I want everything to look right. And he's like, dude, just post it and see what happens. And if nothing happens, then great. You can keep going on and doing what you're doing. So it really was an exercise both in kind of providing something for people, but also for myself to share my thoughts because Harry Potter is something that's very dear to me. And mm -hmm. I was afraid, like, here I am, this 30-something dude in this classroom teaching about Harry Potter. And if you get it, you get it. And if you don't, you think it's crazy. And I really had to kind of <laughs> shake that idea. So the first couple of videos didn't do anything crazy. And I had I had done a couple of videos on TikTok before where I was reacting to Game of Thrones or House of the Dragon. And so I had experience like having a high level of viewership. And so I wasn't too off put until the first time one of my videos went over a million views. And I freaked out. Because I was yeah. like, this is a million people, even if you only saw her for two seconds, like that is crazy. And <laughs> I thought, okay, I guess I'm on to something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so 
I kept kind of putting up videos. And then over the summer, I was like, well, I'm out of class now. So what are we going to do? And so that's when I started posting like these kind of videos from my car, just like about random thoughts that I had. And that's when I got into fan fiction because a lot of people in the comments were writing, you know, some of the questions I had, they're like, well, this is answered in this fic or in this fic. And so like, you should read it. And so over the summer when I didn't have anything to do, I had finished my my book manuscript. And so I was like, oh, I will just read. And that was a rabbit hole that is still, I'm still in it. Oh, fan fiction. Exactly. <laughs> and so it started a, a completely different conversation and a completely different relationship that I had with the fandom, which because now we've moved from canon into this amazing world of fan fiction where you can see the thought and the brilliance and the just sheer creativity of the people in who create these fics. But one of the big things that people were really wanting, they're like, how can we be in your class? Was a question I got on almost all of my videos. At first I had to get over the sheer anxiety of it because uh, yeah. I was really nervous about, you know, it's one thing to post a minute or two online. It's a completely different thing to sit down with a microphone and actually believe that I have something worth listening to. And so it took me a year to... A year? It took me a year to get to the mental place where I thought, okay, I can do this. And, I, and I'm and i a perfectionist. So I was like, I really want it to be right. I don't know what the vibe is. I, I have to figure out kind of what this is going to look like. And so I made a bunch of different episodes. I shared them with a few people. And then randomly, I thought, what if I just gave people a survey? I, I write surveys for a living because the big thing that I wanted was I wanted people to feel like they were a part of the conversation so that it wasn't yes. just me talking at them, but that we were in conversation with one another. And whatever thoughts I shared were the byproduct of people responding to me based on their answers to the questions. And and that seemed to be what people were craving. Um, yeah, that was super cool when I was listening to that. I was like, because I listened to it after you had already put out the survey sure. for the first episode. Yeah. And I was like, huh, that's so interesting. I'm kind of in line with some people here. Yeah, and that and that was what I wanted as well. Because I think reading these books, you recognize that there's a fandom. And everyone kind of silos themselves into specific aspects of the fandom. But it's always hard to know where you sit in the kind of grand scheme of things. And I think the survey helps situate where you are with other people and what are other people's perspectives. And because I think that while reading can be a very communal thing, it can also be a very kind of isolated thing. And if you aren't around people who are into Harry Potter, then these are conversations that you're just having with people on the internet, which is great. But again, it doesn't necessarily give you the ability to recognize where you sit in the collective. And so the survey came to me and at first I was like, oh, this is stupid because they won't, they won't do it because I'll have to leave the app to fill it out. And that's, oh, that's a, mm -hmm. completely defeats the purpose of TikTok, which is like you're supposed to scroll the whole time. Right. And so I was like, I don't know. And my therapist, he's, he's the real MVP for this entire thing. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, he was like, just do it and just see what people do. And then if not, you revise and you can fix it and figure it out. Because it was kind of holding me up for a while. And I did it. And people really, really liked it. And liked the idea of being a part of something. And 
and getting to hear other people's perspectives on these questions and which were, you know, some people hate the survey because it's very normative in its scope. And then once I did it, I thought, this is the structure of the podcast. And that took a lot of pressure off of me because I was like, you want me to just analyze these percentages and talk a little bit about it? I can do that in my sleep. It feels very second nature to me. And then I was like, I'll do a little reflection at the end. That's kind of a mini lecture that kind of culminates a lot of what it is that we've talked about. And so that's how Critical Magic Theory was born. It's so, so good. And I love that the questions, they're kind of hard to answer. And I love that it gets me thinking, especially with Harry Potter in a way that I haven't really thought about in a very long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The kind of normative, the first thing they teach you when you like do survey design is you never want yes or no questions if you can avoid them because you miss out on all the nuance. But for the sake of this, it felt right and kind of mean in, a, in some ways. <laughs> but it felt right to have questions that really do force you to make a choice and force you to really grapple with what do I think of this character and why? Yeah. And I think I've learned so much in reading people's responses. I've learned a lot about the fandom in just the kind of two episodes that I've done so far and how particular... Again, like most of the people who consume what I produce are older millennials now, some of whom are parents, some of whom are in partnerships and and grew up during mm-hmm. a time where there are so many shifting social things, the role of gender, sexuality, all of these things. And, and the book is so steeped in a level of traditionalism that really does not gel particularly well with where we're at as a society. And so to experience people's own journey with that reality has been phenomenal. Yeah. I love that once you realized that it would just be second nature to you, it just took the pressure off and it, yeah. and it felt right. That's so important. Yeah. Yeah. I, I immediately felt like, because I thought to myself, how am I going to fill even 30 minutes? You know, when I teach my class... My students are talking to me and I'm talking back. And so it's very much a conversation. And how can I simulate that on a podcast? And so it felt great to find a way to do that. And also because, I, again, I, I wanted to, I didn't want it to just be me. I wanted people to feel like they could get their voices out there. And people responded in, in amazing ways. The first two surveys had over 800 people respond and i think the one for next week's episode has like over 700 amazing so yeah the response is is phenomenal i'm so glad that you get to experience that fandom world now that you didn't necessarily get to experience when you were first reading the book yes and i think i wouldn't have appreciated it as much as i do now i really do feel a part of something And I think because of the job that I have and because of the fact that I play devil's advocate all the time in my classroom and on the podcast and on TikTok, (laughs) I think being able to experience everyone, the differences, and also it's so cool to sit and read the comments because I'm obsessive over them. (laughs) I I, I feel you. Yeah, it's it's something to work on, but (laughs) I'll get there. But to experience people talking to complete strangers who they don't know about 
this and whether they're agreeing or disagreeing, just realizing that people have spent a lot of time and energy with this text and love it. And there are things that they don't love about it and that they share that with each other on my post. And I get to experience it as a person who has created something that helps kind of fuel that conversation. It's really a beautiful, beautiful thing. What has been the most surprising part of starting a podcast? I don't plan what I do. So I have the statistics and stuff and I have or I have the percentages and I have quotes from people. But most of what I say is off the cuff. Wow, really? Yeah. I would not have expected that. I really do not plan any of it. And so in not doing that, I find that I learn so much and I really have to interrogate my own thoughts on these characters and on the fandom in really kind of intense ways while I'm doing the podcast. And it's been so surprising because I think because I've been within this world so long, there can sometimes be this fallacy that I, I know everything. And I've plumbed the depths of Harry Potter in ways that mean that I can just kind of do this and, and feel very unfettered and unencumbered by my own emotions. And yet every single episode, I find myself being so much more compassionate, maybe sometimes more critical. The big question I always ask myself is, where do I see myself in this character? And mm. and what to what extent does that inform how I then go about talking about them? And that has been so surprising because I think when I teach my class, I, you know, sometimes I'll read along with my students, but more often than not, I don't. I have a very, very, very solid working knowledge of these books. So I, I feel like I don't have to prepare. I feel like I can just kind of go in and doing that for the podcast has been such a gift because this is a much more intimate kind of engagement with Harry Potter than even my classes. And it really does force me to think about me, where I am with these texts. And I think that is something that has been really, really surprising. Yeah, using these stories to really also understand yourself more. Yeah, and just recognizing you know, one of the, the things that I've started doing is trying to figure out, you know, for so many of us, even if we're still kind of very much in the world, for so many of us who read them as children, part of what we're grappling with is being adults <laughs> and feeling that adulthood. And now looking at the adults in these books who we either idolized or completely did not like at all, right? And now looking at them with a, such a very different perspective as adults, as caregivers, as teachers, as parents, as whatever. And the extent to which that has completely shifted the way that we view some of these characters. Next week's episode is about Percy Weasley. And he is a very divisive character. And when I was younger, I thought, oh, I can't. This guy, he just is an absolute, like, wreck. And now I'm like... I have the utmost compassion for him. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. that's kind of hard to grapple with, to unpack some of where that comes from. I love that you're critical without being hateful. Yes, that's important to me. I love these books. And I think 
there are a lot of things about them that are absolutely beautiful. And that's why I say at the beginning of every every episode, loving something doesn't mean you can't be critical of it. Mm-hmm. Because I think that, especially when you're a kid, just in general, you almost aren't allowed to criticize the things that you love or like. It's just, if you like something, you have to give this very external display of liking it. For me personally, like when I look back at my parents, I'm like, some of the stuff you did was really messed up. I know. It, it's such a huge transition yes. to realize that your parents are human too. Yes, exactly. And that I can love you so deeply and also be critical of some of the choices that you made when I was a child. And that those two things can be reconciled and held together. And in that same way, I, I don't think it's necessary to go to this kind of really dark place with these books. I think we can hold together the idea that the author is very flawed and that some of what she's put out into the world is dangerous for many people. And that a lot of that has bled into the world that she created and that Mm -hmm. we can hold those two things together and in an attempt to make ourselves better as people, can say, let's take that critical lens and look at these books and figure out who we are as an, as individuals, as a collective. And that hate doesn't need to be part of that, right? I think that the author herself has put a lot of hate out into the world, and we don't need that to actually interrogate and think through what she's offered us in these books. Totally agree. I think taking that lens to look at ourselves is also really helpful. Like we can recognize maybe we've done things that we're not so happy with, but still love ourselves and recognize that we did what we did for reasons at that time. Absolutely. And I think that that to me as a person who's grappling with the fact that like adult is what I am, (laughs) it feels like the, the most integral part of that journey of adulthood is recognizing that yeah, I can be critical of myself and some of the choices that I've made. And that doesn't have to come at the price of loving myself and appreciating what I do bring to the world. What has it been like for you to take something that you love so much and incorporate it into your work? Hard. I didn't realize how difficult that was going to be when I decided to to teach this class and to become this TikTok person. And But it's difficult because... This is a tangent, but I, I swear it has a, a Please go on in tangents. When I was younger, I wanted to be a singer. I wanted to go to school for musical theater. And that, that's what I wanted to pursue because music and singing is my passion. It's the thing that I love. And then I didn't get into any schools for musical theater. And so when I went to college, I was like, I'll do a music major and a political science major. And it took me like 3.5 seconds to realize that music for me was solace. It was my escape. It was the place that I went to when I wasn't feeling well and when I wanted to feel better. And it didn't mean that I didn't want to work at it, but I realized that making it into my job meant that it was no longer going to be the sanctuary that it was for me. And for some people, they navigate that so well and they can really still find that peace, even as a profession. I just know I'm not one of those people. And so... For me, Harry Potter has always been an escape. It's always been a place that I could go when I just needed to go to a place where I I know it. It's like that bar in Cheers, right? Where it's like, go where everybody knows your name. That was the vibe for me. And so to turn it into work has been really difficult because 
it doesn't necessarily hit the same now. As the sanctuary, it's still a place that I love to go. It still feels safe to me, but it's hard to turn off the critical part of it now. It's hard to just be in it. And some of that is just a byproduct of what I do for a living. (laughs) I find that difficulty in most of the things that I do. But it definitely took something away. But I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it. I really, really appreciate your honesty and and pointing out because sometimes people don't want to take the things that they love and turn them into their job somehow because of that. Yeah, I think that there's a bit of a fallacy of, you know, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. I remember that growing up, that was always an adage. I think for some people, that is absolutely true. But for some people... Having your passion stay your passion and have it being your escape is so important and necessary, especially when it comes to things like art, where there is such a level of subjectivity as to what is good and what is bad. And it can really weigh on you. Harry Potter holds a very different place in in my life now than it did when I was younger. But I think TikTok and this podcast are really helping me find a happy medium. And I love that. Yeah, in, in it all. So yeah. Oh, I love that so much. I I'm experiencing something similar with this podcast. Mm-hmm. I I was like, I don't know. If I I'm also kind of obsessive, a bit of a perfectionist. And I was like, if I do this, how do I do it right? How do I, yeah. you know, do the right way of podcasting? And then I had to remind I, I remind myself every day, like I'm doing this for fun. Yes. I'm enjoying the process. That's it. There's no end goal besides that. Yeah. Just to create the space I wanted to create. Yeah. And I think it's hard to to wrap your head around that idea because, you know, you want it to be good and you want it to be what you want it to be. And, and my therapist always is like, you know, good enough is good enough. And you have to just yes. let that be what it I is your he's the best he's the best uh and so and he's gonna listen to this episode and he's gonna be bowled over oh my gosh but yeah uh and i think that that has been the lesson that this entire process has taught me both in the creation of the podcast and the fact that i'm a person every episode when i put it out into the world i don't listen to it again i can't <laughs> because all i hear are the things that i want to fix the things that i want to change and And so I just have to get to this place of like, you know, I talk about Arthur Weasley in this regard, like for him, good enough is good enough. And that's the place that I have to find for myself when it comes to the creation of my TikToks and the creation of this podcast. And, and yeah, and so may that be where we all arrive. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love this so much because I, I love working with perfectionism and focusing on good enough because it's so important. And it's, it's so funny when I edit the episodes I hear myself and I'm like, oh my gosh, does anybody even want to hear me speak? Every time. Every time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How would somebody know, not just if the Harry Potter fandom is right for them, but your podcast? My podcast is one that is right for a person who loves to nerd out and overthink. (laughs) That's probably why I love it. (laughs) Yeah. that's, That's partially why I created it because I think I love the idea of sitting with a character and just wrestling with them and figuring out their relationship to me and my relationship to them and their relationship with other people in their orbit in these books. And I know, you know, people, a lot of people will write in comments on my posts like, oh, this is fake. Like, it's not a real world. Um, and I, I'm like, I know. Ugh. Yeah. And I'm like, sure. Yeah, that's true. 
100%. doesn't change my relationship with it. And so for me, I think that this podcast, that Critical Magic Theory is the right podcast for anyone who just likes to be as over the top in terms of how deep we go into these characters as possible. It's fun. It's silly. It is engaging in so far that we really do. I mean, I spend most of the time talking about what other people have given me to talk about. And it, to me, is a love letter to the fandom in that I think it's a space for people to feel so comfortable with living like barefoot on the ground in this world and that it's a safe space for us to go so deep in ways that people in the comments or people out and maybe in your own lives are saying like this is too much it's a work of fiction and it's a children's book so stop it and relax this podcast is a place that says all of that is true it is fiction it is a children's book it's ours and we can play here for as long as we want and go as deep as we feel so inclined and that is okay it's welcome it's accepted and it's loved and we can do all of those things and still call out some of the problems love that i'm going to listen to it now with such a different mindset knowing that you don't plan that's super cool to know <laughs> yeah it's it's mostly, I can't decide if it's ego, if it's laziness, if it's, and I think, I mean, it makes the editing process kind of crazy because my brain goes in a lot of different directions. And so then I have to kind of say, okay, what's the main idea here, Julian? Like, what is it that you actually are trying to say? And so I've gotten a little bit more organized in that I kind of give myself questions to answer, but the answers themselves are not written out. And I, I'm a rebel in that way. And I feel like if I wrote out what I was supposed to read, I wouldn't read it. Uh, and so I think part of it is also I want to just feel free enough to just let my brain do what it does. And then I can edit the rest. <laughs> because it also is more fun that way. You I agree. Be more creative rather than that perfectionist coming exactly, out. Exactly. Exactly. And what is also true is that sometimes during I, my rants, I stumble upon something I never thought of before. And one of the more recent posts that I made on TikTok that went like crazy viral for one reason or another was when I asked, do you think that Ron resents Hermione because she's a muggle-born? Oh, yeah. People were livid, and which is fine. <laughs> fine. <laughs> hey, more engagement. It's true. And I'm, I, we love that. But I, the reason why I asked the question was because one of my students was saying something and, I, and it just popped into my head and I thought, oh, I'd never thought about this before. And it wasn't even because I thought it was true. It was really just because I was like, well, I mean, it could be. I mean, I could make an argument for it or against it. And I enjoy the idea of just letting my brain wander that way for the purposes of just seeing where it ends up. That's fun. Yeah. yeah. Super exciting. How has the fandom changed your life? I think when you're younger, you grow up, maybe less so now, but when I was growing up. And being a nerd was not the vibe, right? That, that was not the thing that you were shooting for. And I think because of the way that I engaged with Harry Potter, I did feel kind of isolated in a lot of ways. And so to now be a part of a massive, massive, massive community of people who not only kind of think the way that I do about these books and feel the same way, but also welcome 
my own kind of quirkiness and my own kind of off-the-wall questions about the fandom and and the fact that I'm pushing us to think about topics that tend to make people uncomfortable, like identity and privilege and things that we as a society are taught we just don't talk about. And people have accepted that with open arms. It's really validated the way my brain works. And it's validated the questions that I have and the kind of curiosity that I bring to most everything that I do. And that's been really, really beautiful and affirming in ways that I think as an adult, I didn't necessarily know I I needed. And maybe I didn't, but I definitely appreciate it. So it sounds like it's been very healing in some That's way. the word. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I also just, so, I so appreciate the resilience of the Harry Potter fandom. I think it is not easy to feel that the creator of a world that you love so much has betrayed you and your values. To see the resilience of people in this fandom who have even stepped away and maybe come back or stepped away altogether and people who have said, this is ours, we're going to stay in it, in whatever way they've done that, is incredible. More often than not, it's a rarity that you find these things out about your heroes while they're still alive and they're still doing the thing. Normally, these are all things that are revealed well after, you know, they've died. And so the fact that we are living through this collectively as a community and still having to figure out how to navigate that, I think that resilience is something that also really has empowered me to continue to do what I do. Yeah, to me, Harry Potter has become more about the community. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What does being a nerd mean to you? I think being curious. Nerdiness to me is a desire to know. And it is the agency to seek out the things you want to know. I think that there are a lot of people who want to know stuff, but they don't necessarily go so far as to actually figure it out. And in those who even might figure it out may not like sit in it and obsess over it and try to f- make it part of their lives. And I think us nerds are people who incorporate whatever the thing that we nerd out about into our lives and treat it like it is family. Aww, and I, I think that that, that yeah. is a very, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I think that everyone nerds out about something. I think that society has just told us that there are certain things that make a person a nerd because of the topic. If you look at football enthusiasts, they're nerd, they're football nerds. You know what I mean? We just don't call it that. Totally agree. I love it. Almost everybody I've interviewed has had a very similar answer that it really is just about being curious and passionate and wanting to get all of the information and that it becomes part of who we are. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That's funny that you mentioned the football thing, because it's true. (laughs) I think that, you know, my parents are massive football fans, and they could list off stats left and right. And I'm like, you're nerds. You went and researched (laughs) that. Like, you sat and watched show on show on show about a game that ended, like, a week ago. (laughs) That's no different than me listening to whatever it is I listen to about, you know, Harry Potter, Greek mythology, whatever. It's the same. It's the same concept. Football is just cooler. To some people. But now being a nerd is so cool. Yeah, it's in. It's in. We're very, yeah. we're just, we were ahead of our time. Pioneers, some are saying. For real. All right. So now we're going to share our geeky recommendations to help you embrace your nerdiness. So today I want to recommend 
branching out and exploring different podcasts. I was actually very stuck in my ways, and I was only really listening to MuggleCast and Millennial for a very long time. I was very picky. And then I started listening to Fantasy Fangirls, and I was like, okay, there are more podcasts out there. And then I started listening to Critical Magic Theory, and I was like, wow, okay, there's more. So I recommend checking out new podcasts, finding ones that interest you because they could be very motivating, inspiring, and lots of fun. I will recommend fan fiction. We were laughing about it. <laughs> I but love that. The idea that there's something for everyone in fan fiction. And I think that one of the things about just fandom in general, right, whether it be Harry Potter or whatever, is that part of it is we never want it to end. And some books don't, and they just kind of keep going. But I think fan fiction offers the ability to really feel like you're in community, whether it be because you've created one yourself or because you're just consuming someone else's. I think it provides a deeper look into characters. It provides a deeper look into the fandom. I think within the Harry Potter fandom, what people have done is really taken a lot of the ills of the world and updated them and critiqued them and called them out. And I think there's something so beautiful about creating something from a world that you are very familiar with. And so my geeky rec is to dive in and enjoy yourself. Now you might get stuck there because it is a <laughs> Charybdis, but it is worth it. I'll add the caveat. Do not necessarily feel pressured to read fix that are very popular. Find ones that appeal to you. The world is your oyster when it comes to fan fiction. And if you can think it, someone's probably written it. And so take the time to find something that really does speak to you as a person. Do you have a specific website that you recommend? Archive of Our Own is an amazing, amazing place for fix from all different fandoms, both movies, books, TV shows, the whole nine. It's in pretty much any language you can think of, and they allow you to really tailor your searches to the things that you want. And so that's where I go. And there are many creators on numerous platforms that their whole brand is guiding people towards certain kinds of fan fiction. So I also advise you if this is something that you would be interested in to try to find those people on whatever social media platform you find yourself. You know, I'm, I'm laughing because I used to read a lot of fan fiction and, and I was debating if I should share this or not because I was like, is it, a, is it embarrassing? I was like, whatever. Do it. I, <laughs> I used to love reading Ron and Hermione. Yeah. What is it called? Like, What do they call them? They have a name. I think, is it Ron? It's not Ron Myony. I think that might actually be it. Ron Myony. Yeah, I would read that. And then I would read Lily James fan fiction. Jilly. I love it. And I love that you you kept it with the canonical relationships as opposed to what most people do, which is go and search out relationships that are not in the book that are kind of very, some of them are very off the beaten path. And some of them are more canonically sound, but not necessarily the ones that are in the books. Yeah, there. I know there's a huge fan base for Draco and Hermione. Yes, um, yes. I'm in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, you know, probably now as an adult, I could see myself being into that. <laughs> it's a very. One of my students was scandalized by this when I mentioned it on Tuesday. But it's <laughs> that was my foray into fan fiction was Hermione. There are a lot of things. Like I have a lot of caveats about what kind of fic I want to consume when it comes to them. But people are amazing. And these writers are just 
unbelievable. And some of the things that they are able to come up with are truly just astounding to me. And so if for nothing else, I love reading fanfic for the sheer creativity of it. The fact that people are able to create something from a world that felt very complete when I was a kid and now feels like so vast and big and so far beyond what I could have conceptualized then. Yeah, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. People are so creative. It's true. It's true. Before we wrap up the show, I just remembered because the episode that comes out before this one is actually (laughs) my niece's podcast, Long Live Taylor. They're going to listen and be like, Morgan, why did you say you don't listen to our podcast? So I just want to clarify you guys. I do. They know I listen to it every (laughs) week. So I was just like, I need to make sure I mention that. Yeah, that's yeah. important. And I'm glad that you caught yourself because you would have that. That would have been a post a post-production edit that you would have need to put in. <laughs> I know. So, yes, everybody, I listen to their podcast as well. And I love it. <laughs> and for those who didn't listen to that episode, they like to analyze every Taylor Swift song, the lyrics and relate it to their lives. Oh, I'm Check obsessed with that. So, Julian, where can people find you? Sure. I'm on TikTok at Prof W P R O F W. I am on Instagram at prof.jw. And then Critical Magic Theory is available wherever you cast your pods. So that's Spotify, Apple, Audible are the big three. And then I think if you search it, you should be able to find it wherever. And a website is coming. It's in the works. So we're getting that together. So those are going to be the main places to to find me and, and what we get up to. That's so exciting. Everybody, really go check out Critical Magic Theory. It It's a really good podcast. I really appreciate you saying yeah. that. She's not getting paid, everyone. I promise. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for being here. This was so much fun. It and was. I'm so grateful that you said yes. Yes. No, I'm so glad that you asked. And this was a blast. And I just, I love, I love nerding out. So any opportunity that I get to do that is one that I'm going to take. I might ask you for a part two to talk about Greek mythology sometime in the future. Oh, that would be, I would be so happy to do that. Yeah, because I think that would be fun. Yeah, so much fun. And there's a lot there to nerd out about. Awesome. Everybody, if you could please rate and review the show on whatever podcast platform you listen to the show on, feel free to email me at thatnerdthingpod at gmail.com. And be sure to follow the show on Instagram and TikTok at That Nerd Thing Pod. And I will see you next time. Bye. <laughs>